we have, especially our great salvation, for all that all that we can say is thankful for all that now is done. Especially for the huge punishment now is taken for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank thee again for all the meanings that we have, all beautiful blessings. Thank you for the fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead, Clay, whenever you're ready. All right. Welcome back, Scott. I hope you had a good time on your vacation or up in Northern California or whatever you were camping at. Well, Matt, one Matt made it. All right, two Matt's made it. Um, interesting, interesting enough that the subject tonight is recognizing elders and I know it's been brought up a number of times and we've even discussed it somewhat. But um, of all the books I have on elders, this is a subject that's rarely discussed. I probably have my 10 books I have, like nine of them don't even hardly bring it up about acknowledging or recognizing elders. So some of this is um, pretty virgin territory in some re results. I think it's a difficult subject and really before us is how do assemblies go about recognizing or maybe we could use the term acknowledging elders. And there's a much, and there's a lot of bait on the subject. So if you're not familiar with church history the exclusives that basically branched off of Darby's teaching, that Darby believed that elders were appointed by apostles and, and, and those designated to do so by apostles. And Darby taught that the succession had been broken and we are no longer, there was no longer anyone with the authority to appoint elders. And it sort of went along with this church and ruin concept. And so the, the end result was there was no designated elders in the exclusive circle of fellowship. They do have leading brethren, but they would never refer to or designate them as being elders. So that, that's a pretty foreign concept or something that's really not practice. I don't know how many of you know Keith Kaiser, and in his assembly in Pennsylvania, it's, it's a carryover from a grant assembly before it became an open assembly. And they still do not recognize elders because there's enough there who were brought up in the grant tradition that they have re basically turned and decided not to recognize elders because they're still not sure it's the proper thing to do. So it's not, I'm going to give you my opinion about a lot of this, but I, I'll tell you, it's not a slam dunk. There's a, there's a lot of disagreement about it. However, in my, in my opinion, in my opinion, it's clear that in the early church, there were those who were recognized as elders on more than one occasion were addressed as such. And that we see that in Acts 20 when Paul calls the elders in Ephesus to the seashore to, lecture, or to talk to them. In Philippians 1, he writes to the elders. And in 1 Peter 5, Peter, as we looked at that passage quite a bit, he addresses the elders that are among you. So I believe that's clear that there should be elders. I believe that they should be recognized. I believe we've been given the information on how to recognize elders or how to acknowledge elders we've been given. I don't believe that we would have had two passages addressing the qualification of elders if it wasn't something we were to consider, weigh, and make a decision on. So then the question becomes is um, how, how does an assembly choose or recognize elders? 
there are some that is, believe that's a vote of the congregation that it selects and recognizes who their elders are. So many of the denominational churches do a congregational vote. They're more into congregational rule, and it's just a flat-out vote. There are those who believe that only elders can recognize elders, and that current elders select and recommend to the assembly new elders as the need is perceived to the person during the work is recognized. And then in some unique situations, though, that wouldn't work, especially for Palms, even if that the way you thought was best. Because finally, we find um, at Palms, there's a unique position that there are no current elders. And so it would be hard for the current elders to select elders when there's no one currently recognized as an elder. So um, do we have to create a new way or is there a scriptural way to recognize elders that does not include any of the previous suggestions? I believe there is guidelines to do so. It's not spelled out specifically, but I believe we have guidelines. And I think if we look at those guidelines, I think it would, it, I think we can come up with some practical ideas on how to select elders. So the, the first question that was on the questionnaire is who makes elders? And this is a little bit of a review because Ray covered this pretty extensively in our second lesson. Just remember, if you're going to answer, to unmute yourself so I can actually hear it. I think God makes elders. It, 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 and and, and the, Acts 20 tells us the Holy Spirit's the one who has made them overseers. So the, the, the triune God has made and chosen or has designated who the elders are or have made those elders. So... Um, does the Bible then teach that, that you must have elders in order to select elders? I don't think so. Yeah, I haven't found it. So if the, it's there, um, I don't think, I think it's a, it's a way, but I don't think it's, it's, and then the next question is, is it wrong for the flock to recognize elders? The flock would recognize the elder, just like a shepherd. A shepherd recognizes his sheep, or the sheep recognize the shepherd, right? Yeah, I and I agree with that. So, I mean, if if elders had to select elders, I assume I, I guess you could ask for elders from other assemblies to come in and help you through that process. But I I don't believe. And so, um, if you would turn to First Thessalonians five, let's look at this passage for a little while, and then we're going to look at two more that there were questions. So First Thessalonians five. I'm going to be I'm going to be reading from the King James, but we're going to look at some maybe um, other translations how they translate this passage. First Corinthians five twelve or First Thessalonians five twelve says, "And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves." Now we exhort you, brethren. Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to men. So in a way, it's telling us that we should have discernment, separating out those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and those who are um, render evil for evil unto any man, or, or those who are not like that, right? To, to warn them that unruly comfort the feeble-minded. So there's um, unruly, feeble-minded, weak, 
So he designates some other groups besides the elders. Not that everyone fits in those categories, but it's the idea that you're supposed to be discerning unto them. So the first question we must answer in our text is, when Paul refers to you and them in verse 12 and 13, to whom is he referring? And so in order to figure that out, I think we need a little um, background information. Formal leadership had not been recognized in the Church of Thessalonica, most likely. If you remember with the Church of Thessalonica, Paul was there on a very, very short visit and he got driven out of the city. And he doesn't refer to elders or deacons in this text. And so it would seem that there could very well be no elders or deacons when he's writing this passage. The rest of the time, I, and I, Paul and Barnabas sought to appoint elders in newly planted church as soon as possible, but that was usually after they'd been there for a while and recognized who the Holy Spirit had made elders. So former leadership had not been recognized at the Church of Thessalonica. Nowhere in this epistle does Paul refer to any elders or deacons, nor in our text. And, we, and, and so when they appointed elders um, for them in various churches with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the protection of the Lord and in whom they believed. And so as you read through Acts, you can see that he's appointing elders as he leaves each place. So I believe it is apparent to nearly all that you of verse 12 encompasses the entire congregation of the church at Thessalonica. It's written to the flock. It's not written to the elders and to them or those of this verse refer to those in the congregation who have emerged as leaders in the, in the church. Their spiritual gifts, maturity, love for Christ and his body have prompted them to step forward and assume leadership functions. So not the official title. Difficulties such as those experienced by the church would only accelerate this rise to leadership function. And as we know, Thessalonica was going through some doctrinal issues and they were going through some real issues and he writes to address those. So there's four things that the leaders of the church of Thessalonica needed to be, if you were to recognize those formally, they were presently doing four things. And those things are laboring hard among the saints, leading or going before them, admonishing them. And um, this laboring hard, the word is used for hard, strenuous labor. It's the same word that Paul applies in, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, which says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn and the labor is worthy of his hire. As you study the life of Paul, Paul was one who could say that he labored among the saints, that he strenuously labored among the saints. So the, the, so the example started with Paul and it was those elders who labored like Paul did that they were to recognize. And then one of, one of the things we want to look at is this idea of recognize or know or acknowledge. And we're going to look at that. The leaders of the church which are to be acknowledged are those who have already begun to carry out leadership ministries. It would be one thing to designate a few men as leaders and then hope they function well in their new roles. It is quite another thing to identify men who are already leading in the congregation and to formally recognize their leadership. So the King James says no, but... Um, and, and the Greek word is aida, which is often translated no in the King James. 
but some other translations to look at. The Net Bible translates it as acknowledge. The NSB translates it as appreciate. The ESV, NIV, and NRSV translates it as respect. The CSB translates as give recognition to. The New King James translates it as recognize. The New Literal Translation is honor. Um, the NJB is be considerate to, and the King James says no. So it's this idea of knowledge, acknowledging, recognizing, or knowing. And the King, and the, I think the King James version and the CSB get it the best. And and the simple no of the old of the King James isn't bad either. The others tend to miss the point to one degree or another. Paul is certainly calling for more than mere appreciation and honor in this verse. So they are appropriate responses to the godly ministry of church leaders. So he's not just telling them to honor them, he's telling them to know them, to acknowledge them, to recognize them. There, but there are those who would say that's not that clear in the text and that if Paul had wanted that, he would have been more specific. I think um, Paul chose the precise wording as we find in our text for good reason. I think the Holy Spirit gives us enough information and then we need to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are not dictated to in church practice. We have a great deal of freedom in church practice and that's because we have the Holy Spirit. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, then we wouldn't, I don't believe, have as much leeway as this. I, th I think the process may look look more like what we find in Acts 6 when when the there was an issue of the Greeks not getting proper care and six godly men were pointed out and it seemed well to all of the men. So we find elders were recognized or appointed in several ways in the New Testament. They were appointed directly by men, Paul and Barnabas. They were appointed by men like Timothy or Titus who were commissioned by Paul Abinus. They were simply recognized or acknowledged by the church when the guidelines and qualifications set by the apostles. So that brings us to the next passage that we were gonna look at. And how does 1 Corinthians 16, 15 through 16 and Hebrews 13, seven help us when it comes to recognizing elders in our, in our assembly? Am I stumping you guys on this question? <laughs> well, the first passage, I think they would be, obviously they have a history. They were the first ones. I'm not saying that they have to be, have a long history necessarily, but they, like we have been saying, they labored among the people um, and they have a history of that. It'd be one way that they recognized it. Okay. But, are not the traits that he says to look for almost the same ones that he tells the Thessalonians to look for? Yes. And isn't he telling them to acknowledge or to recognize those men or to set them aside or to recognize their gifts? Um, 
particularly? Uh, you mentioned just a little earlier about saying that um, when elders are recognize you, you say, and, and you hope that they do the work afterwards. No, I said that that there's two ways to do it. There's one to recognize those doing the work, or to or to select some who aren't doing the work and hope they do the work. Yeah, which is which is I think is in in this passage yeah. you know, it, they should be doing the work and then recognized for the work that they're doing, not right. not to be put in the in the um, work of an elder and then like you said hope that they hope that they do it do it afterwards. So I think this in recognizing elders that you that you've already seen them doing doing th that work and you know and really you know you. Know, you're not going to follow or submit to someone that you don't feel is is leading, you know. So, yeah, that was that was the point I was trying to make with the First Thessalonians chapter, but I think you did a better job making it than I did. So, that, yeah. So, so when, so, as we started this course, we started out in First Peter that there's a work that the elders are to do. And then when we come to the qualifications, is that those who desire this work. So it's not enough just to have the qualifications. Because many godly men might have those qualifications. There's a work to be done. And so when we come to this point, the emphasis here is not only on the qualifications, because that's an important first step, but on recognizing that they're doing a work. So what he's emphasizing in these passages we're looking at tonight are those recognizing those who are doing a work. So it's almost like a twofold qualification test, if you would. You have to do the work and you have to be the right person spiritually. It's not enough just to be the right person. And in many ways, it's not enough just to do the work. Because you can have a shepherd's heart, be rather young and make a lot of mistakes and have very poor people skills tend to be a bully, tend to be obstinate, tend to be insecure. And a lot of that comes across as the way you're now, as the way you handle things. The scriptures would suggest you're not ready. You're too immature. You need more seasoning. You might have a heart for the people and you might be good at counseling. You might be good at, at, at leading, but you're not ready to be an elder because your other things, your other qualifications are not in line yet. So it's almost like you have a dual qualification. You have to be doing this. But if, if you remember earlier, what we talked about is um, some of the things we we're looking at, laboring hard among the saints, leading going before them and admonishing them. That's why Peter tells us it's not to be by constraint. You know, someone who's doing it because there is no one else or doing it because they were sort of forced into doing it, aren't going to labor hard at it because they're not really, they don't have their heart in it. They might be leading, but they're all going to so going to find trouble admonishing. I would suggest to you that that the admonishing piece is a fairly large piece. It is very difficult to admonish someone, and I've I've been on elders groups because I am willing to confront issues, and I and and sometimes not even doing the best job at that, that they've all turned to me and said, can you go handle this? Can you go admonish this brother? Because they feared being the admonisher. They were more concerned about what people thought of them and they wanted, didn't want to lose sight, um, their friends. 
So they weren't willing to do the right thing. And their reputation made more to them than doing the right thing. And so I would say that that's a, that's a great thing to look for is are they willing to confront error? Are they willing to confront an issue? Are they willing to stand up if there's a doctrinal issue or there's a problem in the assembly? Because if they're not, my suggestion is they maybe shouldn't be recognized as an elder because they're not ready. They think more of themselves than they do of the sheep. So I would suggest an elder should be someone who like the Lord Jesus. And we, we talked about the good shepherd and how we learn a lot from being a shepherd in the 23rd Psalms. An elder needs to be someone who's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And, and, and sometimes it's not even laying down your life, it's laying down your, your druthers or your, your personal comfort for the sheep. So there's, there, there's things here as we go through this that, that we, need to, we need to look at. So you're right, I think that when someone's leading and, and sometimes I've talked about with this with elders is, if you're leading and no one's following, then maybe you're not a leader. If you're driving and you're not leading, then you're not a leader. If you're leading and you have a vision and you're able to communicate that vision and people are able to see that vision and see the wisdom of your decision and see the character of, of that you're sacrificing for them, you'll often find people are willing to follow. But if it's all about me, and it's all about my power, and it's all about what I want, then you're not leading. You're most likely driving. So um, who are you willing to submit to is a really good question when it comes time to recognize elders, as Joe mentioned. It's a good point. So on the recognizing elders and, and your leading and the admonishing thing, I think one of the things I've seen in the past is where elders are recognized because of the work they're doing, just like we're saying. But I think we need to be careful not to recognize deacons because they do a bunch of work. I think there's a huge difference um, between the works of a deacon and the works of an elder, but I've seen it so many times where Deacons are recognized because they're doing a lot of things, and yet it's not the admonishing or the leading of the flock in that way. Yeah, but the work of a deacon is different than the work of an elder. Would you agree with that? Very much so. And I just bring it up kind of as a point because right. I've but, seen it. But the character is different. Mm -hmm. We're going we're gonna to talk about deacons soon. And I would just say this, that one of the traits that you should look for and and i think that i think the qualifications point this out is someone who works well with others if someone's overly independent and just can't work with anybody else and can't um submit themselves to someone else or or do a team approach with someone else or struggles in those areas I'm not sure that's the type of person you sh you'd want to be an elder because as we discussed last week with spiritual gifts of elders, you need a team elder who is working and recognizing 
and sees his role and fulfills his role and doesn't try to fulfill every role of every person and their way is the only way they see it possibly happening. So, um, yeah, that, and that's, and that, I guess that's my concern is, is recognizing proper elders. All right. I have one more question and then I want to talk about practical ways to recognize elders. Um, the, the last question was the most important thing to look for elders in order to be in order for him to be recognized as an elder is poorly worded my apologies what do you think some of the things that we've after we discussed tonight and after we've looked at all the characteristics of what an elder is supposed to be from timothy and titus that we know what the work is what are what do you what what do you think is the most important or what do you think are the five most important or what would you think would be important to look for I have a couple of things. Okay. I couldn't think of just one, but um, I mean, just the term elder um, speaks of uh, experience, maturity. Um, and then, you know, overseer, bishop, pastor speaks of his function. Um, first, I thought, you know, he has to have a pastor's heart. I mean, you can be a pastor and not an elder, but I don't think you can be an elder without being a pastor. Um, I think Peter was very careful in exhorting the elders, you know, like not to lord, lord over God's heritage, but, but, to, but to feed them or tend them as a, as a shepherd to the, to, uh, to the, to the flock. So um, I, think, I think a pastor's heart is, 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 is very essential and also the maturity. And that maturity um, will bring like what you were talking about, the know-how, how to deal with people, how to, how to uh, admonish people and things like that. That comes with maturity. And knowing how to deal with people, but I think those two things—the maturity and experience, and the pastor's heart. Okay. Good points. Anyone else? David, I'll have to start calling if no one has participation. I have to put you on the spot. David Walcher told me to warn him because he was in the middle of a mouthful one time, but I don't think David's eating so. You're the only David today, Mr. Wright. Just a second, he said. Your audio's reconnecting. His audio is or mine? Uh, Dave's was. Dave, try it now. You should be good. Okay, you there. I can hear you now. Perfect. You know, I have redundant systems in here, and I always end up getting a failure. But uh, anyways, I was going to say, I don't know if this is overly general, but my thought is this, you know, to answer the question directly, which is the most important thing to look for in an elder, to recognize an elder, in my mind... Right, it lists out the qualifications. I don't think the answer would be there's one qualification that's more superior to another one. I think the answer is, is this man God's choice? That's ultimate. It's not our choice. 
So ultimately we need to conclude in our minds that we're aligned with the will of God in recognizing this man. So the, so the question would be, what are some of the things that would allow you to see that he's God's choice? Uh, we're right. So one of the things is God's not going to select somebody that is misaligned with his qualifications as outlined in scripture. Right? Okay. He's not going to okay. violate his word. I think, I think just in my simplistic way of looking at things that this is like, this is a decision that us individually make, but ultimately corporately, because we're all going to be aligned. And if I'm making an individual decision, let's say it's not choosing an elder. Let's say it's deciding, should I choose a, um, to accept a position that's been offered to me in North Carolina? Right? Great. What would Great. what would the steps I go through to think about, well, okay, do I like the company? Do What's the pay? You know, there's that type of thing. But more than that, is that you should step out of that, those items, and think, is it the leading of God to do that, right? And one of the things, you know, it needs to align with scripture. Number two, um, I think that through, you should pray about it because God's going to disclose his will to you through that. And then ultimately, he's going to reveal his will to you and you are going to have a peace about that decision. That's what I think the, the process would be for any major life decision. And I would put this in that category. Okay. It would follow the same process. Whether that aligns with your thoughts or not, I don't know, Clay, but that's yeah. my ramble. Um I was, te- I, was, I was teaching First uh, Kings 17 yesterday, and all of a sudden, Elijah shows up on the scene, and Elijah goes to Ahab and tells Ahab that there's, it's not going to rain for the next three years. And up until that point, every time a prophet came on the scene, we see that it says the Lord spoke, or the Lord God spoke unto the prophet, or the Lord God told the prophet every single time we come to Elijah and we don't read that. And I think the reason we don't read that in Elijah is because the word of God was very specific that if they went into idolatry in Deuteronomy, it says, if you go into idolatry, I will withhold the rain and bring drought. I think he read the scripture, saw what the scripture was, prayed over that as James tells us. And then he act boldly based upon what the scripture said. Now, the next thing we read is after he did that, is that God then spoke to him and told him to go by the brook and to be fed by the ravens. So after he acted on what God had given him as information in the scriptures, it was then that God spoke. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a sense, as I think you're right, David, I think there's a sense that we need to understand what the scriptures say, pray over it, 
And then I think God's going to speak to us as to what his will is. But we, we can't expect him to tell us something that he's already told us. We can't expect him to give us revelation when he's already told us in his word what his requirements are. But then after we do that, then I think the Holy Spirit will give us further direction once we determine that we're following his requirements. So I would, I would, I would probably say there's two things that are important to look for an elder. One is he meets the qualifications and the second one, he's doing the work. And I don't think it's one and I don't think it's the other. I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, I think, I, I know we, we talked about this and Joe, you, you asked Clay about that. It's, I think it's very, very critical that a man be doing the work and then be recognized for doing it. You don't thrust somebody into something and then cross your fingers that, you know, they're going to rise to the occasion. This is not that scenario. Assemblies get themselves in trouble because they look around and go, well, we need three elders and we only have two. And Joe's the president of his company or John is very successful in business or John is successful in education or, or, and we need another good man, so let's choose John. And John is willing to do the duties of meeting and doing some things, but he's, he's never done the work of an elder. He's never labored. He's never stood before them. He's never admonished anyone. He's just a good person. And then we, and then we wonder why we struggle with the eldership group or why the assembly starts struggling is because we've chosen someone, we've ignored the word of God in our choosing. So I, I'd say from, from, from the, the qualifications, integrity, humility, and character are very, very important. And integrity is huge. And so um, I know it's not exactly listed as integrity, but um, if you don't have integrity, it's very hard for me to submit to you and follow you. I had, I had a, an elder from another assembly and I invited him to speak at the assembly I was at. And I was with another young man from my assembly. And the young man said, I think you should come to our assembly and speak on head coverings. And I said, I think head coverings is something that local elders should teach on because it's not always well received when someone outside the assembly comes and teaches on it. And I said, besides that, I just taught on it last month. And the young brother said, yeah, but you didn't tell them they had to wear it. So I need someone to come and tell them they had to wear it. And I said, well, I obviously don't believe that it's something you should force because it's a symbol. And if you force a symbol, it no longer becomes a symbol. It becomes legalism. The brother came to my assembly, stood up in front of the assembly and said, the elders have invited me here to speak on head coverings. And I went up and challenged him about it. And he says, well, I know you didn't exactly say that, but I got from what you were saying that someone needed to come and speak on head covering. I go, nothing I said would have given you that impression. And the lack of integrity to me was huge. I mean, someone did that to me in my assembly. I don't know that I could trust them anymore. And I certainly would struggle to submit to them. And that brother and I clashed once or twice more. And 
ended up his elders called me in because they were concerned and had a long talk with me. And then at the end, they called him in and he ended up resigning. And I don't, he had accused me of some things. And when I went and explained what my position was, they decided that maybe it was time for him to go. So um, there, the, the rest of his elders, I know when I was done talking, had seen those same traits and they acted as a group. But integrity is huge. We've talked a lot about humility. Humility is huge. It's good to desire the work. But if you put yourself forward all the time, it doesn't look good. And then all those characteristics are character. So you have to do the work and you have to be qualified. So let's, let's talk about some practical ways of then recognizing elders. We have some time left. We talked about this one time before Matt Vanderhart was here and he had a suggestion I thought was a good suggestion. Um, I will tell you after we discuss this, I'll tell you the way one assembly chose new elders who had no elders. And, and um, that's an, it's an assembly in Dallas. And then, um, but let's, let's talk. What do you think the, we're given some liberty on the mechanism. And I think Dave Wright has set some parameters down for us. What do you think it would look like selecting elders? The process would look like. And if no one speaks, I'll have to call on you. So please don't put me in that position. Well, I think a lot of the, most, probably most of the people in the congregation would just not just come up to the elders and say, you know what, I think this brother should be recognized as an elder. You know, so that's probably what, you know, I don't think elders should choose elders, but I think elders probably have a keen, a keener sense of who is doing the work and who is qualified and they can bring that before assembly because probably the assembly, you know, the brethren in the assembly probably would not actually come forward to do that. They, I mean, they may, but I, I'm just, I think that would be, you know. So, so Joe at Palms, there's no recognized elders currently. So we're, we don't have elders to rely on to make suggestions or elders to go to if we have suggestions. We're, we're going to really start from scratch here. And so um, we have to build from ground, ground level, so to speak. Okay. I would agree. Well, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, well, I, you know, the assembly I was before I moved, before I moved to Tucson, um, we had three elders. Uh, one of our elders uh, passed away and the other elder went left and went to be a pastor at some country church and we had one elder and um but there was another brother that was uh um really he was doing the work but he was also kind of married to his job so um and we were and we were determined that you know the in in, in the in the one remaining elder um was determined not he was not going to be the pastor so we prayed about it and it went for like a year and a half we prayed that the lord would really work in his brother's heart for him not be so married to his job so what we did, we called them IBM meetings, interested brethren meetings. So all the men uh, met like at, at an elders meeting who was, there was only one recognized elder. And we, and that's how we functioned for a year and a half until this, you know, the Lord really laid on our answered our prayer and laid on uh, the, this brother's heart and he backed off of his job and, uh, and he ended up getting recognized as an elder, you know, but he was always doing the work of an elder, but it's just time was his problem. So I, I would agree with Joe in that patience needs to be exercised and that many times you run into problems when we're impatient. And so we have a good brother who has a good heart, 
but he's still he's going to school and working or he's working two jobs and then we select him and then he doesn't function and now we have to go back to him and say you know you're not doing the work we want you to step down and he thinks he's an elder for life now what do you do i mean when i was young we had an elder who was on a rather large group of elders it was the larger assembly it was a large group of elders and he went back to school at night to get an engineering degree and he wasn't available for anything wasn't available to teach he wasn't available for the elders meetings he wasn't available for wednesday night he almost never hardly ever made meeting he might show up sunday morning and he remained an elder through the whole thing and as a 17 year old kid i was thinking he's not doing the work why is he maintaining the position because i always thought it was a dual responsibility the work and the and the requirements set forth in timothy and titus and they just kept him on as an elder. Well, since I've gotten a little older and mature, I've found out that elders for life is sort of this idea that many elders carry. And I think it's most unfortunate because I don't think it's scriptural at all. So back to the, uh, back to the question, there are no elders. David has suggested some parameters. How does that look like in practice? Uh, I, I like David's parameters. I think as palms here, since we don't have elders, our men's meetings and stuff. I, I believe the Lord will review people, reveal the right men through that activity and, and who is taking on the tasks and leading the flock. But I think part of this elders Bible study uh, puts responsibility on each person here that we all need to be in prayer about it. And we need to make it a point of looking for that person and recognizing it. And I agree a lot with the time, like, it's going to take a long time. Um, but we just, every, every member in the situation that Palms is in is going to need to take it on themselves to seek out that person and then be willing to bring it forward. I would, I would add one other part to that. I think each member should be on their knees praying, is it me? Have you ask me to be an elder do i have to do i want it do i meet the qualifications am i willing to to be involved in the work and i think over time as he said they wait a year and a half and i and patience i think is especially needed over time those men who are doing the work those men who have the qualifications both of character and of doing the work will rise and people will see that who they are that's why i'm such a firm believer in men's meetings or as joe called them uh interested brother meetings is that that's where wisdom ability care shepherd's heart pastor whatever you want to call it all comes out someone who doesn't bully someone doesn't force his way someone who's willing to submit to others someone who's willing to be taught, someone who can teach, all that comes out in that type of a meeting as issues are discussed and things involving the assembly are discussed. And as that takes place, you start recognizing who is a leader because they're leading in those meetings. All right, who else? Hey, Clay, just a note. Um... You mentioned integrity. I'm thinking 
as we're leading in meetings. Integrity also involves uh, inner motive, right? And so that's why I like what uh, Joe mentioned here and you mentioned as well, Matt, I think DeFries mentioned it. It's gonna take a lot of time because uh, you, you could have in any assembly setting, someone who's very zealous and wants that position pretty bad, right? For some, for some reason, um, we don't know the motive behind that they might do a lot, right? And um, thinking that's maybe the place of an elder, but in time, true colors start to show. So like, it's gonna take the assembly a lot of prayer and a lot of time spent together. And uh, you know, the men that are part of the men's group as we get together and you know, start to be more transparent and vulnerable with each other and start to serve each other, then we'll start to see um, godly men come out of that and leaders come out of that. Excellent, very well said. Steve, can I call on you? You have experience. Your mic's not on. Okay. Are we on now? No, I, I'm okay. <laughs> um, one of the things, I love the Old Testament because you just see how the Lord works. Um, I think about Moses. You know, here was a man who was learned and all the things of the Egyptian, he was a wise man, he, you know, he was well-respected, he was, had honor and all this stuff. And yet he would go out and kill an Egyptian to deliver his, um, his own people, the Jews. And he thought if he did that, he would show himself as being their deliverer. <laughs> Little did he know that God had something else planned for him. He had to run for his life. And, uh, but I think through that, you show how that, it, it shows how God had to teach Moses, if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to do it my way. <laughs> and you're going to have to set aside your own, um, what I want to say, initiatives or whatever. And, and you're going to have to learn how to trust me. So God gave him a job to do. And he said, look, I want you to take care of these sheep. <laughs> And uh, the other thing, too, I think about David, I, I think of, um, here was a man whose heart was, I mean, just his heart alone would just grab you, because he loved the Lord so much, and he wrote all these psalms when he's out with the sheep, and he loved the Lord, and he was willing to stand up for the Lord, and, and you notice, in contrast to David, that Saul had lost his own asses that belonged to his father. And he just seemed irresponsible. And yet here was David, a responsible person. And he even had somebody care for his sheep while he was gone so he could go visit his brothers. But God also had the idea of patience with David. Okay, um, you know, the children of Israel chose King Saul, but I have chosen you but you're going to have to wait. And uh, so it was like a building character through suffering and, and through all this stuff. And I think God has a plan for, you know, elders. It, it may be the way of Moses, it may be the way of David, but uh, ultimately I think he's looking at our heart and say, where's your heart? Do you have the love and for God, for his word, and do you have a love for, for people? And are you willing to do the work? And 
you know, and God used them mightily. So I don't know. I just love the examples from the Old Testament of those that God called out to be leaders. And I think that applies, it carries over into the thought of being an elder in the New Testament. And the example of Saul is a wonderful example because the people wanted a king and chose Saul. And God said, they haven't rebelled against you, Samuel. They've rebelled against me. So it is possible for us to get impatient and choose the tallest and the best looking and the whatever and miss out that he let his father's ox um, donkeys go, that he really, he had a lot of issues. Saul had a lot of issues. He was very insecure. He blamed everyone else for his issues. He what, never took personal responsibility for a thing. He lacked integrity, he lacked character, he lacked humility. He was a very soulish person, dealt strictly on what made him feel good. And his decisions were all based on, on selfishness. And the nation got what they chose because they jumped at the first candidate that looked good to them. And if they'd waited, God had a better king for him, but they didn't, they didn't wait. So I think patience is, is, I know I'm, I, there's another voice that often suggests that um, we need to get going on this. And I'm, I think patience has a lot going for it because I think we can make wiser decisions when we don't jump God's timing. Right. Okay. Uh, I was going to say something else, but I won't. And because we want to give someone else time to speak. Scott's back. Um, Danny's here. Dave's here. Mo, uh, Mr. Anderson's here. Eldon. There's some others. That if you got comments, now's a good time to make it. We got a few minutes left. I think Clay... Um... Going to your comment on, uh, and I don't want to take up the time here, but um, you mentioned, are, are, are we praying about it and uh, to pray about, you know, if God has called you to be an elder? And I'm always reminded of um, Isaiah, right? In 6, King Uzziah dies. Isaiah is struck by God's glory. And it's really a, mo a moment in Isaiah's life where he's broken. And uh, then he says, and God says, um, who do I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And so... I always have told people, you know, um, if you want to know what God's doing in your life, you can ask uh, what your purpose is, but you got to be ready for the answer, right? And so uh, I would encourage every brother on the on these calls and in our assembly to really ask the Lord that question. Has he called me to be an elder or a shepherd? And um, if you feel he has, be prepared to take that, right? But uh, I, I like what you mentioned about that. Just pray for it. Because sometimes in our life, we, we'll look to other people and say, well, I think, you know, we start to choose sort of an, uh, unintentionally, but um, maybe there's someone on this call, God has called you to be an elder, and uh, it's time to really self-reflect, right? Because Isaiah didn't say, here I am, Lord, send Clay. Or he didn't right. say, here I am, Lord, send Danny. Here I am, send, send me. Right. Well, and, and the important thing is, are you, are you available if God calls you? Right. And sometimes I think, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the harvest is um, widened to harvesting and we're praying like crazy that God sends harvesters. But sometimes we don't pray that we ask him if are we one that he wants to send. So yep. I think it's like that with elders. We need to sometimes ask that question. 
you know, have you selected me? What is it? Where's my heart? What is my desire? How do I see myself? Am I, do I have gifts? Do I have, what are my gifts? So um, we talked about this and we sent out, I sent out another gift survey. I don't know if it went out, but one of the things is to know what your gift is. Mm -hmm. you, you sort of should need to know what your gift is at some point in time. And then you need to look at the qualifications. Oh, I know the point I was going to make. So um, someone might desire to be an elder and they might have every family in their house over to their house for dinner because they're supposed to be hospitable. They're interviewing everyone. They're, you know, not buttering them up, but they're spending a lot of time with everyone. And they're coming across like, boy, they're really interested in people. And then you make them an elder and they become too busy ever to have anyone over at their house because it was more for show than what really was on their heart. And so there, there is a sense that you have to be careful that, you know, and patience is often a sign if they continue to do it for a longer period of time, it shows that it's really from integrity and really from a heart to serve God and not just doing it to try to impress someone with it. Yeah. All right, so let me, um, with a few minutes left, let me talk about the assembly in Dallas. So the assembly in Dallas was a hive off. There was one elder sent from the, from the original assembly over to help them, to counsel them, to give them lead, some leadership and teach and things like that. But he wasn't going to stay and he wasn't going to be an elder. And so it had to come from the people who, who were there. And as the assembly started to grow, they didn't have any elders for the first two years. And at the end of two years, they felt they knew each other well enough and that there were some men that needed to be acknowledged as elders. They acknowledged them as elders and they did so with, a, with a, an interim one-year commitment. And at the end of that one year, the assembly was going to acknowledge them again or re-pray about it and make sure that they had made wise choices. One of the intern elders stepped down, the others two stayed on, and a third was added at the end of the year. And so um, they built that provision in. I started with a new assembly, and we took three men who had formerly been elders. We didn't want any elders. We encouraged not to have elders, and the three men who'd formerly been elders thought it was a bad idea and thought we absolutely needed elders, and we couldn't go day one without them. So we reluctantly agreed to let the three elders, even though we had questions about them being elders, we reluctantly agreed and they agreed to serve six months in turn. At the end of the six months, we were informed that they would remain as the elders. When we um, raised some objections and pointed out that one of the men just absolutely lacked the integrity to be an elder, we were told we were slandering him and we need to shut up. And um, that assembly did not last very long after that because it was, there was a, a good group that just didn't recognize one of the people as an elder because of the issues. And then we struggled with three men who had said they would serve intern and didn't have the integrity to do exactly what they had committed to do. So integrity is huge. If someone commits to do something, even if it ends up being something that ends up harming them or being hurting to them and that, see, that to me is what integrity is. If I say I'm going to do something and then I have to miss my daughter's birthday because I committed to you that I would be there on that day, I'm going to be there on that day even if I miss my daughter's birthday because I made a commitment. And I think integrity says you, you keep your word and you maintain it. 
unless unless God strikes you with lightning and tells you it's absolutely the wrong thing to do, and then you have to confess and humbly admit that you made a mistake. But you don't just slough it off because you have something better to do that day. And and that's immaturity and it's lack of integrity when something else comes on the table and you go, oh, I'm going to go do this. Oh, someone invited me to a basketball game that night, so I'm going to skip your event because someone got really good tickets to a basketball game. And I and I just look at a person who would do that and I just think, at least in my mind, and I'm probably too judgmental, I think there's a lack of integrity. You committed to be here. You said you were going to be here. And now you go to a basketball game because that sounds better to you at the last minute. I can't do that. My conscience can't do that. I, I'm just the sort of person, I just couldn't possibly do that. My integrity wouldn't let me do that. And um, so I think integrity is, is a huge issue. And uh, we could study that subject from, from Proverbs and Psalms, but um, it concerns me. And then, as I've said a number of times, humility is a huge issue. If you can't be taught, you're not teachable, then you really can't teach. And if you can't submit to other other elders and submit to those in the flock, if your ego is so big that you always have to be right, you're a terrible elder. And sometimes it just takes time to see some of these negative traits come out. All right, enough pontificating. All right, it's open comments. Uh, Clay? I thought yes. I might mention that uh, one of my cousins, Steve Price, he's, well, he's not directly my cousin, he's married to my cousin, <laughs> back in Kansas City. Years ago, they didn't have any elders at all. And uh, and yet there were things that would come up in the assembly and and Steve and there a couple other brothers would see a need and they would show up that, at that individual's house to try and work with this, work out this problem. And they would say, what are you doing here? <laughs> Who made you a elder over us? <laughs> and there was no recognized elders, you know? So there kind of came a point because of things that had to be dealt with in the assembly that those that God had raised up with a heart to be a shepherd and, and to lead the flock uh, eventually were recognized because they had that heart to do it and were, were willing to commit themselves. And the rest of that story, if you ever ask Steve Price, I'll tell you the rest of the story. Okay. The problem was they had bad elders. The assembly almost died on the vine. Mm -hmm. It was down to a very few people. When they started praying, those elders ended up stepping aside or leaving, leaving them no elders. And over a period of time through prayer and study, they finally got to the point that the men who were actually doing the work were soon re were recognized. But it wasn't like it's six months or three months. It was a while. Yeah. And that assembly is one of the most flourishing assemblies in the Midwest now. Yeah. And those who know Steve, his um, father just died yesterday. So um, he went home to be, he lost his mother about a year and a half ago. And now his dad, who I've seen a number of occasions at a number of events, is now gone also. So um, you might pray for Steve and his family. I'd say he's lost his father and his mother like in a two-year period. So um, for those, uh, if, 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 if you know Steve Price, Steve Price is the epitome of having a pastor's heart in my mind. There's certain men I know that have a real pastor's heart. I, I don't know if I 
totally agree with Joe that you have to have the gift of being a pastor because I think in Ephesians it mentions pastor teacher as a gift. I think when what we're going to look at sometime is that there are those who do who have that and they they should be honored above the other elders. But I think it's something that you can learn from a person who has that gift how to have more of that of a heart. So as I said last time when we talked about this. I might not have the gift to be a pastor, but I've learned from others what it means and have tried to follow in their footsteps and learn from them how I can be more like the Lord Jesus in compassion and in empathy and and in in caring and and feeding and, and tending flock. And so I think it's it, it can be learned to some degree, but I also think it's a gift. And it's learning from those who have the gift that's important. Now, if you haven't learned, and it might not be your strongest point, but it's something you do and you can do. That's good. But I don't know that it's a requirement because he doesn't list having a pastor's heart or having a gift of being a pastor as one of the requirements. But I, I, if you don't have among your elders, if you don't have someone who can lead in that area and have a real pastor's heart, then believe me, it's, um, sorry, it's a, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And Steve Price is one of those you could learn, sit at his feet, and you could learn a lot about having a heart for God's people. He spoke at the palms. He spoke at the palms like one Sunday about two years ago, David, I think. And he's going to speak at the palms um, conference in two years. So I'll, I'll share one more thing I was, I was thinking um, in regards to my, my talk on 1 Kings 17 yesterday. The, the, the drought for Israel lasted three and a half years. When Elijah approached Ahab with the news that it was going to last three more years, it had been a half year already of drought because it ended up, it lasted three, and three years later, he's, he's told to come down off the mountain to end the drought. And at that point, it's always a half year when he went to the brook. It, had been, it was three years from the time he approached Ahab. So I was thinking with this virus is we're not quite six months in, but could you imagine if someone showed up and said, this is the Lord's judgment that it's going to last three more years? And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, I'm sort of getting tired of it. But they just announced that the Rose Parade's canceled for January 1st. So I'm just, it, it, it's like, you got to be kidding, Scott. We're going to do this nine months? This is, this is nonsense. This is like, but then I was thinking like Israel had three and a half years of drought and terrible conditions. We haven't seen anything yet. We, we got to be more, I, I guess I have to be more patient and realize that the judgment of the Lord can last a little longer than, than, than three months or four months or six months or nine months or I, I'm praying that it doesn't because I'd love to see you guys again and be with you again in person. But I can see where my idea of patience is not three and a half years. Yes. Maybe that's the lesson on all this to teach us patience. It, it certainly, it certainly, I think he just wants me to forget how to drive. That's what I think. And through, through March 13th, I had 3,800 miles on the car. No, 30, yeah, 3,800 miles on the car. And I've got about 150, 
maybe 200, because I went to a funeral in LA um, since then. I finally bought my second tank of gas and it's full. So I used one, I've used one tank of gas since March 13th. How's that? For someone who usually fills up once or twice a week, it's, it's, my wife's scared that when I get on the road, I'm going to forget how to drive. So because it's been so long since I've actually done that, but yeah, patience. So one of the things to take away tonight is that there is a mechanism to do it, but I would suggest we be patient and wait upon the Lord so we can really see the Lord's hand. Because when we're impatient, I think we make bad decisions. I had one other quick thought from 10 minutes ago, but um, it was in recognizing elders, we also have to consider the elder's wife as well. Yes. Make sure that is a fit. And um, I can tell you horror stories about that too. So, um, so can I? Okay. Uh, there's a uh, young couple I'm counseling right now. And the reason why they want to talk to me all the way in San Diego is because I didn't know any of their friends or any of the people because an elder had counseled them and it ended up going through the whole assembly because he went home and told his wife what their problems were. So, um, uh, yeah, wives are, <clears throat> I just sit there, my wife, I don't tell her anything. So, but um, if you've got to tell your wife or talk to your wife about issues, you better make sure she has integrity and she's not a gossip because it can sure hurt an assembly. So then that goes back to the question, are they a pair in leadership or are you, are you meant to carry a lot of the burden yourself as a leader? Uh, one of the things when I bought the elder shop notes that David Welcher has, and there's two sets. So if you want to borrow them, I know he's gone for a while, but they are available to be borrowed. Um, I failed to order the book on women. So I'm the wives, the book for wives. So I think I'm going to order the book for wives that Jack Spender's wife wrote. And I think I'll order that two of those and send them to Dave's house. So if any of you feel like it's something your wife might want to read and it's encouragement for the wife of an elder and help along that way, I'll, um, I'll probably order that because I didn't order it the first time because I didn't realize it was available um, on the website that I was ordering those books. So. Um, very, very good point, Danny. Yeah, because I would say the success of an elder can sometimes be made or not made by the wife. For sure. Well, oh, 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 the wife of an elder is going to make a lot of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's times my wife eats by herself because I'm on the phone with a situation that I need to handle or someone who needs help or someone's called me for counsel. And I'm just not free to tell him, sorry, I got to go eat dinner. I'll, I'll call you back later. And so uh, the wife and elder, if she's selfish and she puts her family and their needs a priority, you know, the challenge is not to neglect your family when you're, you're an elder, because if you don't rule your own house, well, you're not qualified to be an elder. So it's a fine balancing act. But if your wife isn't in partnership with the, with the program and she's not willing to make some sacrifices also, you can be the hardest working elder and the wife and if, in the land. And if your wife's resentful at how hard you work or how much time it's taking, then you're not going to have a happy household and it's going to be a lot of trouble. So thank you, Danny, for bringing that up because the wife, and we really haven't added that to our agenda, the role of the wife, but it's huge. It's a huge issue in assemblies. Can I make one more comment, brother? Yep. Um, 
and that's okay if you don't agree with me on the pastor thing. Um, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think uh, uh, when you, in, in the very beginning, you, when you went to First Corinthians, I mean, uh, First Thessalonians 5, and you, went, and, and you talked about all the different translations and, and pretty much saying acknowledge or recognize and know and, and so on and so forth. And I, and I think sometimes, you know, in, the, in, the, in some assemblies, you know, that, that, you know, that we, don't really, we aren't really choosing elders. We're recognizing them. We're acknowledging them. And, and it goes back to the very first question um, on, on who makes elders. Right. And you know, it says, if any man desires the work of, of, of a bishop or an elder, he desires a good work. You know, it's almost like it's when, when you recognize a gift in somebody, right. you know, teaching or, you know, if, if, if someone has a gift of teaching, you know, I mean, you can't shut the guy up, you know, if someone has a, guy, a gift of helps, I mean, he's always there when, when, when something's going on and things like that. And, and, but it's, um, it says, it, we, you know, we said in that first question, it's God uh, who puts into the heart of a man uh, to uh, have that de desire. And I don't want to sound like a, like a Mormon here, but, uh, but it's almost like, like a, you know, they use that term burning in the bosom, you know, and, uh, but it's, it's an exercise of the Lord. You, you ask, you know, why is it that, uh, that some people have such a burden to go into a distant land and preach the gospel to, to, uh, uh, and others, other, others don't. Right. You know, why does someone, why does someone have such a burden to, uh, to, to, for, to uh, care for the people of God and, and, and others don't because, because they're exercised by the Lord. You know, you know, why does somebody notice if, if a brother or sister isn't there and some people don't notice it at all because they've been exercised by the Lord. So in, I remember when, as a young believer, um, a, a brother told me one time, he says, you know, he says, the gift will manifest itself. In other words, you know, again, like the gift of teaching or the gift of helps or, or whatever. And it's the same way with, a, with an elder. That burden, that desire will manifest itself if God has put it in, into his heart. And, uh, and we are to not choose them. We are to, just, we are to acknowledge them, to recognize what right. God has done in their, in their life, uh, in, in, in plus and in including all, everything else that we've talked about, the qualifications and doing the work and, and the wife and everything, you know, so... And anyway. that's that's why we titled this recognizing elders and not selecting elders. Right. Because it's not the elders have been selected by the Holy Spirit. I'd only I'd only say one other thing to that. Whether you're recognized or not, you can still do the work of an elder. Others might not see it or it might not be obvious to them, but that doesn't mean you can't serve and help because I've and we've talked about this in the past. I've had people say, well, they haven't recognized me as an elder, so I can't help that assembly. Or I have no authority because they haven't recognized me as an elder. Well, I don't have any authority as an elder anyway, in my opinion. All I have is the word of God. So whether I'm recognized or not, I can still serve. I can still teach. I can still tend the flock, whether they're my sheep or someone else's sheep or my, my immediate locale sheep or they're on a locale across, the, across somewhere in another assembly. I can still serve because I have a heart to do the work and I don't need the recognition to, in order to serve and sitting in on business meetings where all you decide, all the elders do is decide where to split the cash and where to send the fellowship. To me, I, I just assume miss those meetings. That should be Deacon work anyway, in my opinion. So, you know, whatever um, I'd rather talk about what the needs of the flock are and what, what, what's needed. So I don't have to sit in on meetings if the meetings aren't any aren't in order to be an elder, and I don't have to be recognized in order to do the work. 
So, all right. You well, shouldn't be hurt by it. You shouldn't be hurt if you're not recognized. So you're doing well, it for the right reasons to begin with. guess what? That's not going to bother you. And so guess what? That's an ego issue if you're hurt. Right. And if you think you need the position to exercise authority, you miss the boat. Matt? Matt, Matt was going to say something. And Hebert, go ahead. Oh, Matt's. No, no, no. Please, DeFries, go. I might just piggyback off you. No, no, go. I actually, I'm okay. He's trying to close the meeting down because we're way over time. Well, that's what I, I was going to do. I was going to shut it down. No, okay, so, so <laughs> totally if you're going to shut it down, pray and shut it down because I'm fine. <laughs> I, or, or if you have to leave as we go overtime here, I didn't mean to go overtime. I tried to end early enough to have a good discussion about practical issues, but go ahead. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, no, you know what I wanted to mention, Clay, was um, here, Matt, I'll just talk for a sec, right? Um, it's just that, no, you're right. And um, the need to be recognized, and I think some of the alarms that go off uh, would be maybe controlling patterns, right? Or, uh, and I could speak, uh, some, of, some of you on this call might know Paul Beatty back in Illinois, but uh, he wouldn't be titled an elder, um, but he is doing what an elder should be doing, and I'm saying very respectfully, respectfully, even with the other elders, but more than, you know, I mean, most that I know with meeting with people for lunch and talking and texting and calling, and he's just serving people over and over again. And you know what? He probably never will be titled an elder, um, but people that know him there know him as the elder, if I can even use those words. And so I think the attributes of an elder, I, I don't even, I'd almost add, not that we could do them, we should be doing them, right? And treating people like Christ. But uh, th those are my thoughts as you're talking, Clay, because uh, you're right. If, if our pride's hurt, that's a huge problem. Well, and that and that brings us back to the verse in, in Corinthians that we're reading, right? Um, the verse we're reading in Corinthians that said, um, sorry, that said what? That, that they labored among you. I mean, see those who work yep. and labor among you. I mean, that's, that's who we should be recognizing, right? Yep. And, and if we're doing that, if that's who we're following, if that's who we're, we're, we're recognizing, we're not going to go wrong. And yeah, well, I, I told you the story. Um, when I was at Fullerton, we had a discussion and the one recognized elder at the, at the time, the young man pointed at him and said, I, I've never recognized you as an elder. I've never seen you as an elder. You don't do anything that an elder does. And he pointed at Ken Daughters and said, that man has prayed with me. That man has comforted me during my trials. That man has been available to me to talk on the phone. And he pointed at me and goes, and this man's taught me the word of God. He goes, you've right. never done any of those things. And he was the one recognized elder sitting at the table and it wasn't my assembly. But if I was an elder at that, if I was the elder that someone pointed and said, you've never been an elder to me, I'd be go home weeping and probably step aside because and, and examine yep. my heart is to see where I failed that young man. Yep. But instead, the next meeting, the, the older man came back and, and was very upset and offended that the young man would attack him like that. <clears throat> and that alone disqualified him from ever being an elder, in my opinion. If you're if you're if someone tells you something and your your reaction is defensive and you lash out and you bully and you and and you're offended, you, you don't meet any of the qualifications in my book. Yep, I agree. Matt, the uh, other Matt. Well, uh, I'm now you can pray. 
Uh, I'm going to ask Dave Hammond if he'll close in prayer. But first, I guess one of the things I I, uh, I think when well, just for me, like when I first came to Palms and there was no elders, and then I kind of asked Dave Walsher, and again, you know, we kind of put this Bible study together. I think patience, uh, much like Dave Wright said, is and it's been stressed several times, is really key. But I think along with the patience, we still have to be moving forward, right? Like. I don't think if we sat back and never tried to recognize elders, I guess, or prayed about it, the Lord's not going to just drop elders in our lap. We need, it needs to be a purpose. And so as a congregation, I think we, each one of us need to be individually and together, I think corporately praying that the Lord will bring up elders and it could take years. Absolutely. But we have to be moving towards it at the same time. Good point. Dave uh, Hammond, do you mind closing in prayer for us? Father in heaven, we thank thee that thou has given to us the word of God, the Holy Spirit, and many blessings besides. Give us discerning hearts, we pray. Give us obedient hearts. Father, may we be in tune and harmony with thee. Deliver us from evil, Father, that the Spirit of God might use each one of us. Thank you for this meeting and the love we have one for another. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.